Welcome to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Schaffner, and today my guest is Dr. Katherine Clinton, a dear friend and colleague, as we explore our conversation in the Art and Science of Cultivating Coherence Summit. Dr. Katherine Clinton stopped by my office the other day, and I thought it would be so much fun to explore this conversation during Valentine's Day week. And I also wanted to plant a seed, be on the lookout for a special project that Dr. Katherine Clinton and I will be announcing soon about researching the mechanism behind coherence. Enjoy the podcast and have a beautiful day. Welcome everyone to the Art and Science of Cultivating Coherence Summit. I'm your co-host, Dr. Christine Schaffner, and today my guest is my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Katherine Clinton, and we're going to be talking all about quantum biology of coherence. So welcome, Katherine. It's such an honor to interview you. Oh, it is an absolute honor and pleasure to be talking with you and to be part of this amazing summit. Um, I couldn't think of a better time for this to be coming up into the public awareness. So thank you for doing it and for having me. Oh, thank you, Catherine. And and I, I couldn't agree more. And I so appreciate the work that you've done uh, to educate around this topic about quantum biology. I feel quantum biology and coherence are this very much this dance of, you know, this very synergistic dance of concepts that we're trying to share to really you know, why, why are we doing this, right? We, we both sit in this lens of seeing people struggle and suffer with their, you know, health. And, you know, if you're not awake to the fact that, you know, modern life, you know, there's full, it's full of, um, you know, obstacles to, you know, living a really vital, you know, really impassioned life. And so this is, you know, what, you know, connects us being naturopaths and believing in, this vital force that we study in, you know, the world around us that interacts with it. And I just love the education you're doing and especially the, you know, the education you're doing around this, this form of medicine um, that's talking about our quantum biology and quantum biology might sound scary to some people who are like, okay, quantum, I wasn't going to biology class, like the two words together, like, how do I write this down? <laughs> so I would love for you to just, before we really like dive into the specificity of our topic, like what does quantum biology mean to you? And, you know, really how do you get started and being so passionate about this topic? Yeah, great question. Great question. Because that is something everyone's like, well, I've heard of quantum physics and biology, yeah. but yeah. quantum biology, what are you talking about, right? <laughs> and it's really exciting. It's a new emerging field. I mean, there are dedicated departments like at UC Berkeley and in Surrey that are popping up around the globe. And it is the study of quantum phenomena, such mm -hmm. as quantum tunneling or superposition or entanglement or coherence. And those quantum phenomenon taking place in a living system. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's much different than some of the experiments that were done in a quantum physicist lab, right? So if I was a quantum physicist, I would be looking at these quantum phenomenon in a lab that was completely soundproof. So no sound, no vibration could come into play. And they cool that lab down below absolute zero, where no life can exist, right? Mm -hmm. And so when the first quantum biological studies were coming out in the early 2000s from Fleming and Engel out of the University of uh, UC Berkeley, 
quantum physicists were like, absolutely not. There's no way that those things can be happening in a living system because we have to get all of life out of the lab to see these phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And the really cool thing that we'll probably talk more about is that it is the living system that is the perfect ideal environment for these quantum phenomenon to happen. So quantum biology really looks at these phenomenon in living systems and usually in our smallest pieces of our biology, mm -hmm. right? Those nano-sized proteins and enzymes, our mitochondria, the proteins in the electron transport chain, and how the different quanta of light, sound, or frequency of thought, um, oscillation of a protein, how these impact our biology. And what we're finding is they have a really profound effect on our biology. And they don't negate the biology we learned in, in medical school or, or middle school biology class. Mm -hmm. They add this deeper level, almost as if these quantum biological actions are giving rise to those reactions that we learned in biology class. Mm -hmm. And so it's a really exciting time to start looking at it because we know what we did learn in middle school biology, that Newtonian model of random mutations, random collisions, right? Where we have like these biological keys floating around mm -hmm. and bumping into things and hopefully they'll bump into their biological receptor and unlock action. We now know that the cell is so densely packed, so densely packed, and these reactions that are happening are so efficient. I mean, we have trillions and trillions of cells in the body, and each one of them is performing over 100,000 tasks per second, and oh. that's just something that can't be explained with standard Newtonian physics and standard mm -hmm. biology. And that's where quantum biology comes in. It's so fascinating. Oh, what, what an excellent description. And as you talk about these packets and quanta of information that, you know, we often don't, st we don't study really in naturopathic medical school or, you know, we don't know about as this is an emerging science. You know, there's also, I, I'd love to just touch on the highways of communication in the body um, as well, because I think that is, is a place we both really align of our love of educating and, you know, deepening our knowledge as well about, okay, we have these packets of information, but how do they even move around the body at this faster um, speed than our nervous system can, uh, can communicate? So, um, any, yeah, wherever you want to take that, I, I would love to hear um, you just share a little bit about that. Sure, absolutely. So let's start just in the beginning with, with Engel and Fleming out of UC Berkeley and what they first found. They found that they were actually looking at photosynthetic bacteria, right? Mm -hmm. And they were looking at how do these bacteriums, how do these microbes and thus plants, you know, how is this photosynthetic process taking place at near 100% efficiency? I mean, that's way more efficient than any technology we have. And how is that happening? And what they saw was that 
as these microbes are catching a photon of light, mm -hmm. they are taking the fastest path to that photosynthetic center, mm -hmm. and they're being guided by the oscillations and vibrations of the different proteins in that photosynthetic coil. So we take that and we look at that, and what does that mean for our biology? A similar process is happening in our connective tissue. Mm -hmm. And we see, we see it in our fascia, we see it in our structured water that mm -hmm. is lining the fascia. So our fascia is made up of connective tissue, and that's mostly made up of collagen. And mm -hmm. when we look at it down on a quantum size level, we see that our collagen creates these tropocollagen helixes, right? We're familiar with that double helix in a DNA. Mm -hmm. This is a triple helix and it creates a tube. Um, it creates a tubule. And the interesting thing about it is that it has many properties just like a liquid crystal, right? And so what do I mean when I'm saying liquid crystal? I'm talking about the ability of a substance, and we're talking about fascia, to be in a mesophase between a solid and a liquid, mm -hmm. and at the same time, possessing the qualities of a crystal. So if I take a quartz crystal and I um, compress it, it creates an actual electrical charge, right? And this is the technology that we're using right now in our screens to talk to one another, right? Yeah. Um, and so this is what's happening in our fascial network. We're seeing that the compression of fascia creates a piezoelectric charge, a charge of electricity. And this is allowing for so many different things to take place. And it's allowing for this sort of um, network, a communication network that spans throughout the body. And if we're talking about what is included in that fascial network, in that connective tissue network, we're talking about every single cell in our body, that cytoskeleton, that tubulin is connective tissue and connects to more connective tissue. And so it's absolutely mind boggling when we start to think about it. I mean, when we learned about fascia in school, it was the scaffolding that mm -hmm. kept our organs together. We now know that it's not only on the outside, but it's innervated through our tissues, through our uh, organs. And many experts in the area are pushing to include our lymphatic system, mm -hmm. our nervous system, the circulatory system of blood, to include all of those in that fascial system and in that communication system. And it's not the only one, right? Because when you look at the body and you look at fascia and you look at cell membranes and you look at vessels of lymphatic fluid or vessels of uh, blood in the circulatory system, these tissues, these membranes are creating structured water on the inside and outside of them. Again, the structured water is liquid crystalline in its nature. It's able to respond to frequency information, to actual deformation. Um, it's able to capture 
photons of light and sound and utilize that throughout the body. You know, James Oshman has done really incredible work showing that this is one of the ways that earthing is working, right? That idea that if we put our bare hands or feet or body on the earth, those free electrons that are lining our earth from that conversation with our ionosphere and, and lightning, right? Depositing those electrons on our earth. The reason that we're able to collect those electrons so readily and then transfer them to the part of the body that needs them the most is throughout this fascial network. Mm -hmm. And so it's just absolutely incredible when you start to think of like, wow, this connective tissue network in our body is connecting every single cell. And then on top of that, we have the structured water network, right? And when I say structured water, I'm talking about water that is more organized mm -hmm. than bulk water, right? Those hydrogens are more tightly bound and it creates this hexagonal formation, kind of like a honeycomb. Mm -hmm. And as one sheet forms on our hydrophilic surfaces, our cell membranes, our fascia, our proteins, mm -hmm. it acts as a template for more to form. And it creates, as that's forming, it creates a negative charge. And as those hydrogens are bonding, a positive proton, a, po a positive hydrogen is kicked out and it creates this separation of charge. And now this starts to sound huge and big, but again, we're talking on the quantum size, we're talking on the nanoscale. So as these layers of uh, structured water start to form against our collagen, there's actually a positive formation. People are calling it a proton wire, a proton rich zone, and that is positively charged. And just like a nine volt battery, that separation of charge creates an electrical current. And Gerald Pollack, um, he's done amazing work. He wrote The Fourth Phase of Water. And he and his team out of the University of Washington showed that that separation of charge is actually enough to light a light bulb, mm -hmm. certainly enough to initiate biological action. So, I mean, it just becomes mind-boggling when you start to think that there is this body-wide communication network that is able to communicate via electrons, protons, photons of light, phonons of sound, almost instantaneously. Mm. Oh, that's so beautiful. This is a area I love to educate and geek out on. And you do such a, like amazing job of making this really complex topic accessible. And to reiterate, I love how you mentioned like the you know, it's the liquid fascia too, right? The, they're, you know, starting to call it in this whole fabric, right, within us that is communicating. And, um, and James Oshman and Dr. Um, Jean-Claude Gumberto show us these beautiful um, ideas, how we're connected from the nucleus of the cell to the skin. And then I, I always am like, let's not stop there. You know, we have this biofield and this field that we're in and, you know, this whole other information that we are, um, touching, you know, with this beautiful highway and fabric. And it's like this, it's just like unending, like where we can go you know, with, with this. I, I don't know if you have any, any comments there before we move on. 
No, I think it's, I agree. It's absolutely fascinating. And it puts it in a whole different light. I mean, if we think that, you know, as the evidence is mounting, that we are communicating via this oscillation, via this vibratory language of mm-hmm. biology, of proteins. You know, I think all of us are kind of familiar with a tuning fork, right? Mm-hmm. And if you have two tuning forks that are tuned at the same frequency and you strike one, the other one will start to vibrate. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're seeing with communication in our proteins and enzymes. And it's just absolutely fascinating to think that there's a realm in biology that can't be synthesized, that mm. can't be reproduced in a, in a factory, in a uh, manufacturing plant, right? Mm. It is a product of the beautiful dance that life does on this earth. And I think that's another really exciting part of it, because if we think that we're at the pinnacle of health right now, that's a very depressing and frightening thought because we're in multiple epidemics right now, right? (laughs) Mental health and obesity and chronic disease. I mean, the lists go on and on. And so to realize that there's this whole other level of health that we can access that has previously not been accessed in mainstream medicine and that can't be synthesized. It can only be enhanced. It's just a wonderful and reassuring uh, step, I think, towards true health. Yeah, yeah. So beautifully said. And, you know, kind of going back to this idea of quantum biology and kind of these principles you you've touched on so many before we go into coherence maybe just like I know it's hard to be brief here but you mentioned proton tunneling and super positioning and you know anything that you want to I just want to give people a taste of like this is this is an accessible topic. You can you can learn about proton tunneling today and not be afraid. (laughs) So if you want to you know Again, just, you know, briefly talk about proton tunneling and how that's an aspect of uh, quantum biology as well that we're studying in the living system. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So when I was in school, I, I was still fascinated by mitochondria, but the way we learned about it was so mechanical, right? Mm-hmm. We have the electrons and they hop down the electron transport chain and there are carriers that help them hop, and we have protons that are going through those proteins in the electron transport chain, and then we have ATP, that that electrical, or excuse me, that energetic currency of the body. Now what we're finding is that that structured water that's lining those proteins is actually able to jump conduct those protons So it's not like we learned in school where you have to mechanically get the proton through the middle of that protein. As soon as it touches that structured water, it is able to jump conduct. It doesn't have to go like on a highway where it's just going, you know, one speed or even very fast. It can jump to another location because of the capacity of that structured water that we talked about 
that hexagonal form. I mean, and, and this extends so many things, right? That benzene ring is mm -hmm. so predominant in our biology, in the food we're eating, um, in so many different things. And it allows for this conduction of protons and, and photons and, and other things that don't require the marching down the line that we learned yeah. in school. It allows for almost in, instantaneous conduction of a proton from here to there throughout the body without this need to travel the actual physical distance. It just jumps. I mean, it's absolutely mind-blowing. Yeah, goes to another dimension, right? You know, from proton to another area of the body. But um, which, you know, again, you know, why I ask you to say that not only to share this information, but you know, we we think like, especially in the last three years, it's just been so fascinating how we thought like there's this conversation of science is science and science is settled, and it's like I I I was taught in school from my early education, and I, you know, did pre-medicine and studied college-level, you know, immunology and all this, and the teachers would always tell us, like, what we know today is going to evolve and change, you know, and we're going to, you know, have new knowledge, uh, you know, continually, and this is just an illustration of that point, like, you know, um, something that was very standardized and and taught, you know, is like there's this whole other explanation happening now with, you know, new knowledge, new, um, a new lens, new eyes. And so it, it's just a reminder to remain open. And what we know now and today is fascinating and beautiful. But like, as we evolve, you know, our knowledge evolves. And I, I think that's just really what science is truly about on a deep level. Oh, absolutely. Right? Like, I can't, Think of a scientific advancement that was just accepted, right? Yeah. It always comes up against that status quo that's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Protons don't jump. What are you talking about, right? Yeah. <laughs> and and, and the, the really wonderful thing I appreciate, one of the wonderful things I appreciate about quantum biology is how full circle it is, right? Mm -hmm. So science as we know it, right, capital S science, really started with the scientific revolution in the 1600s. And it became a this idea that if we're going to see truth, if we're going to get to the truth of life, we're going to see it at the end of a microscope or the end of a telescope, or, you know, we're going to see it. And it cast aside all this ancient indigenous knowledge that had been gleaned from a relationship with the world around us. And if every uh, indigenous culture that I've studied, ancient indigenous culture, had a tradition of treating this quantum biological network, of assessing it and treating it and talking about it. And that was completely cast aside because that knowledge was relational, right? It was, it was received in relationship and in observation with the world around us. And when the scientific revolution came in, it was like, no, 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 no. We need to be able to pin that down. And so all of those things we're going to dismiss. And now we come full circle where we're like, you know, that proton jump conduction system, that fascial network maps perfectly with the meridian system and 
you know, the, yeah, the, yeah. and so I, that's one thing that I really love about quantum biology is that it's bringing us back to some of the things in our human lineage. Mm -hmm. And this goes to all of the indigenous mm -hmm. cultures, you know, Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic and European traditions and African medicine mm -hmm. and, and ancient American medicine from the Americas. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just so wonderful to be able to be at a point in science where that observational knowledge is now being validated. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, it's, it's so exciting. I love that point. And then you think about too, like all the ancient wisdom around sound, right? Sound was such a part of healing and ritual and ceremony. And, um, you know, now we have like this whole other beautiful lens. And you said even in this quantum of information that quantum biology offers us to study or this whole idea about biophonons. And so any, I mean, sound is such a big topic, but I just want to, you know, if you don't mind sharing a little bit about, yeah, that loop, right, of the um, ancient, you know, use of sound to our modern quantum knowledge. Absolutely, absolutely. And so that's another uh, side to it, right? All of those cultures revered and had practices around sound and sound healing. And that was completely dismissed. And now we're starting to understand through cymatics and through research that sound can shape matter. Mm -hmm. Sound actually creates infrared energy. So when we're talking about quantum biology and we're talking about the impact of infrared energy on our structured water within the body, able to build that, uh, those layering of structured water, we realize that sound has an amazing impact. And there are just some phenomenal researchers out there. I mean, Bobby and Mommen and Joel Sternheimer, what they did was they looked at, um, and, and their work was different, but very similar. So I kind of put them together for, for time and efficiency. <laughs> but what they did was they translated different elements and different molecules into sound. And so Sternheimer looked at a tissue, a tissue of, of the lungs, for example. And he said, okay, these are the molecules that make up that tissue. Those molecules make this sound. And he actually made musical uh, scores, right? Music, sheet music. And he found that if he played this back, to healthy cells, they would reproduce. Wow. And if he played it to unhealthy cells, they would begin to um, die and, you know, begin that process of apoptosis. Just wow. absolutely incredible. And then you fast forward to some of the research that Professor Sunjul G and uh, John Stuart Reed have done showing that sound immersion has profound impacts on our circulatory system. We actually just a full body immersion, right? So not headphones, just the sound and those vibrations have to be all over the body, like you would do at a drum circle or a concert or turning up your favorite music on, on the ride home. Mm -hmm. It immerses us in these frequencies. And what they were looking at specifically were red blood cells. 
and they found that the sound immersion, and it wasn't preferential. So they looked at rap, they looked at heavy metal, you know, there's a lot of research out there with classical music and different hertz with, with the mitochondria, right? And mm -hmm. it kind of paints this picture of like, oh, heavy metal is yeah. the best. But their research showed that any music that we are immersed in actually makes our red blood cells less likely to die. It increases their lifespan, which wow. is huge. And at the same time, not only does it increase the lifespan of those red blood cells, but it increases their capacity to carry oxygen throughout the body. Mm -hmm. That vital interaction of oxygen within our tissues mm -hmm. is dramatically influenced by sound. Mm -hmm. Joel Sternheimer? I, I I hadn't heard of his work. I, it reminds me of the whole sonome um, cytology conversation with or James Jim Zwacki. I can never say his name, but he studied the sound of cells, and now it's like the sound of tissues and the application. I mean, that's that is just so fascinating. We should have, you know, clinics with all those resonant sound, you know, to play back to people. And you know, my dear friend Kelly Kennedy, who you know, who's also on the summit. You know, we she introduced me to Rasmus Gelt Berghausen's device that I have at the clinic as well, and he's on the summit, um, Sound of Soul, and it's playing the, you know, we're converting the HRV um, to music and light and playing it back to people. So a little different concept, but you know, um, you know the same idea and thought. And hey. That sound is just oxygenating us anyway, you know, so, you know, I, I, I love it. Thank you for sharing those, that research with me. I hadn't heard of all of that. So I, I, I love learning from you and I, you know, I, I hate to go back to this, but I, I will, because I don't want to um, keep that loop open, but I asked, because we're going to talk about quantum coherence and you said, you know, when you think about quantum biology, often the definition is like, okay. Um, quantum tunneling and proton tunneling, and then you mentioned the super positioning. What, what does that mean? Just again, however <laughs> concise you can make it, so people like have that. You know, they can feel like they really understand these principles of quantum biology. Yeah, absolutely. So all of these things, tunneling, which is the you know the classic example is having a hill in front of you and you have a soccer ball, and to get that soccer ball over the hill in Newtonian physics, you have to have enough energy. You have to kick it hard enough to get over that obstacle. Mm -hmm. In quantum tunneling, that soccer ball, um, which of course is a quantum particle, right? An electron, a proton, photon, that, that particle is able to travel multiple different paths, right? Mm -hmm. That idea of superposition mm -hmm. and, and even entanglement, all of these ideas come back to the idea that we're both matter and energy at our smallest pieces, right? And so what a fascinating duality to have actually be confirmed. I mean, we've always known that that was a piece because of quantum physics and, and quantum physics is very strange, right? And, yeah. and mysterious. But at the same time, it is the most validated scientific theory we've ever had, meaning that it has been validated and not debunked more than any other theory that we have out there. And so this idea 
that we can travel in superposition multiple different paths at once to find the fastest route to where we're going is so amazing. And if if we can observe that in the smallest pieces of our biology, imagine what we could do if we applied that to mainstream medicine, to mainstream science, to be able to travel through two different scientific theories without having to negate one, to explore both at the same time with an open mind that maybe they both somehow are true at the same time. That just opens up a whole new world, a step out of this black, white, yes, no, you know, this really dogmatic kind of world that we're trudging through is is such a beautiful thing because it allows for multiple things to be right at the same time, for multiple paths to be explored in earnest at the same time without negating each other, just full, open-minded exploration. And really, I mean, that's what science is. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's like such a piece of wisdom for life right now, right? You know, and not just you know the 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 quantum biology, but just like the you know the the lesson that I think we're all here to explore while we're on the planet together. So we've come to quantum coherence. You've done such a beautiful job of helping people to understand quantum biology, and then there is a part of quantum biology called quantum coherence, and so. You know, my goal with the coherent, this conversation around coherence is just my evolution of just understanding since I've done the body electric, um, both of those series and, you know, just learning through my patients and through my own life. And the, the more you land on, you know, these principles, you understand this principle of coherence is really, you know, a lot of what we're, you know, kind of trying to um you know, aligned to literally, you know, to help us, especially in the healing process. And so what is, from a quantum biology perspective, what does quantum coherence mean? Quantum coherence is really that idea of the system working together. Mm -hmm. Even though there are individual pieces, we can come together as a collective and resonate at the same frequency, right? It's it's like the idea of, a, of an ocean wave, right? So you have this collective action of a wave traveling across the ocean. And we know that there are individual pieces, that individual pieces of the ocean, individual pieces and molecules of the water, but they are all acting in coherence to create this collective action. And I think that was really the door that blew quantum biology open was with that work um, in, in those photosynthetic beings and looking at how it wasn't just a quantum phenomenon of a photon. It wasn't just that that photon was a quantum particle that acted like a piece of matter, a particle, and also a wave, right? We've known that for a long time from the double slit experiment. Right. But the really amazing thing was that the way it traveled was really dictated by the coherence of the other proteins in that complex. Mm -hmm. It was almost like a race and, and people are running down this marathon race and all of the 
people on the sidelines, if, if somebody got tired or somebody fell down, they lifted them up in this coherent action, acting as a collective to get those marathon runners across the finish line, acting as individuals and making sure that their individual action really was demonstrated in a collective action, right? That's how that photon got to that photosynthetic reaction center. It wasn't just because it was a magical little photon of light, which helped, right? (laughs) It was this collective action of resonance of all of the different proteins in there helping that Mm -hmm. photon on its journey. And if we can take that example and kind of apply it to society. Yeah, I, <laughs> I was just saying that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, what a perfect time for mm-hmm. this idea to percolate throughout our community, throughout the global community that we're a part of, because we really live everyday life. And a lot of us are living in a not relational way, right? We have a hard time cultivating relationships with people, with the world around us, with family. And to think that this idea of coherence really can ripple out. My my state of heart rate variability, my state of heart coherence, meaning the coherence between my heart and my brain and all the different systems that fall into that interplay, if those are coherent and communicating and resonating at the same vibration, then my biology looks different. And not only does my biology look different, I can radiate that coherence out to the people in my environment, right? And so when I'm in coherence, I know that my frontal lobe is being innervated, right? I can make calm, rational decisions versus that amygdala and hindbrain where I'm very reactive. And that coherence is something palpable. I mean, it extends in that field and ripples out to the people around us, to our most intimate relationships, our family, our coworkers, our community, our society. If we could reach a level of global coherence, Mm. wow, what Mm. an amazing change that would bring about. And and we have evidence of this, Mm. right? We've we've known through meditation studies that when people come together and meditate at the same time in a location that is having a lot of incoherence and Mm. chaos and violence, It's been done um, in New York with crime rates. It's been done in the Middle East with during times of war. When practice practitioners of meditation joined together and meditated, it actually decreased the rates of crime. It Mm -hmm. decreased the violence of, of wartime. And it was independent of temperature, right? Or different things that we might think, oh, it's a hot summer day. It makes people want to get violent or something. It was completely independent of those um, different factors. It really was the state of experienced coherence rippling out to that community. 
And mm. if that is something that we can achieve on a global level, mm. I just am excited for that to reach the masses because what a difference that would be and what a time that mm. we need that medicine and that coherence to be rippling out. Yeah, yeah, no, so well said. And HeartMath has their global coherence initiative that you can take a look online too about how they're really trying to, you know, do this grand experiment and get people, you know, um, synced up to not only um, connect with each other, but also see the connection we have with Mother Earth and how we can direct our, you know, energy. And so Dr. McCready, you know, has a lot to share on that topic. And it, it just, yeah, is so in line with what you're sharing. And you know, I'm, I'm asking everybody and everyone's, you know, really, you know, sharing a lot of valuable, practical ways, right? Like how to cultivate coherence in your day in and day out life. So maybe just a few, I know you really live this work and this knowledge um, and share it with your community. Um, but what are maybe your top two or three favorite ways that you personally use to generate uh, coherence in your life? Yeah, absolutely. I think that my most important practice is a, a pairing of two, a pairing of breath work and gratitude. And I would be remiss if I didn't say that I was well-versed in the HeartMath Institute and their <laughs> research yeah. um, and all that Roland McCready is doing because it's yeah. absolutely phenomenal. And it doesn't negate, you know, it's not like I'm a guru up on a hill who doesn't get angry or sad or anxious or any of those things. Absolutely not. I, I really do believe that we are humans here to have a human experience mm -hmm. and experience that range of emotions. It's when we get stuck in one of them. And so taking those times, and, and for me, it's easiest to do right when I wake up, I don't even get out of bed. Um, I just lay there, I practice my breath work while feeling a feeling of gratitude. And it isn't a Pollyanna, you know, everything is great in my life and I'm so thankful. It's really, the more I cultivate it, the smaller the pieces of gratitude are, right? I can be grateful for, um, the other day I was laying out and a little fly landed on me. And he started cleaning. Well, I don't know if it was a he or she, but um, yeah. it started <laughs> cleaning it, their legs and their wings. And it was just such an incredible experience to just be a part of this ecosystem and just to have gratitude for those smallest pieces. Mm -hmm. And and to know that, of course, there's going to be incoherence because it is that yin yang. It is that fluid dance between the two. But I think for myself, pairing breath work and a gratitude practice has really been powerful to breed that sense of coherence um, in my everyday life. So I do it when I first wake up and I either do it like today, I will do it right after I get off work. And if I don't work, I do it before I go to bed. 
but there's, you know, there's so much that we get in our workday lives. It's nice to kind of fluff that off. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Well, Catherine, anything else left on your heart that you want to share as we wrap up our uh, time together? Uh, yes, a sense of gratitude. Yeah. I am so very grateful for both of you and your work, your work, Dr. Schaffner, Dr. McCready's work, and all of the brave scientists and researchers and doctors that are embracing this new biology and this new science. I feel a profound sense of gratitude. And that breeds this hope in me for a paradigm shift that we so desperately need. So um, that's what I have <laughs> in my heart is this deep sense of gratitude. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Catherine. I feel the same, you know, for you. And no, thank you so much for your contribution to the summit and all the work that you continue to do in the world and the ripple effect that you have in shifting this paradigm. So how can people find out more on how to connect with you and be part of your community? Absolutely. My name is Dr. Katherine Clinton, and I'm that everywhere. I didn't get creative with it. So it's drkatherineclinton.com. I'm Dr. Katherine Clinton on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. And I love sharing this information. I really do think that it's a grassroots effort. I mm -hmm. think that the more of us that embrace this and build that resilience and build that coherence, then we can turn to other people to have them do it as well. And then we turn to the powers that be to demand that paradigm shift and that perspective change. So, yeah, well, well, of course, and please check out Dr. Clinton's Instagram. It's, it's amazing. I love tuning into it every day. It just makes me smile. And she has such a wonderful way of creating the visualization of these complicated concepts. And so... Um, you do a really, really amazing job. So thank you for uh, being here and thank you for all the work that you do and continue to do. I'm sending you so much love and gratitude. So thank you. Oh, received and sending it right back. Thank you so much for having me. It was an honor. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Dr. Catherine Clinton. Check out information on how to find out more about her work in the show notes. And I am so grateful for you being a part of our podcast community. If you feel compelled, please leave a review on iTunes or wherever you may be watching or listening to this podcast. Have a beautiful day.